The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Our reading is indeed from St. John, chapter 8, verses 48 through 59, and can be found on page 1663 of your Pew Bible. John records, The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And at this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are, are demon-possessed. And Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar, just like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and he was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and, and you have seen Abraham? Abraham? And very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Trinity Sunday. It's a, it's a tough one, I have to tell you. And I looked to Luther to find out what would Luther do, and I found out what Luther did, and he spoke for a very long time. I won't do that to you, but in his sermon on Trinity Sunday in 1535, Luther simply leaves 
the gospel for the Sunday aside. Well, then what did he do? Well, he preached on the Trinity, which he calls the highest article in our holy faith and in the holy Christian church. The Trinity is, can I just show of hands, is there anybody uh, out there that feels pretty comfortable in explaining uh, what the Holy Trinity is? Anyone raise your hand and you think you could probably do it pretty well? Yeah, maybe. I see some confidence out there. I also see, Lord, please don't have him pick me. Yeah, I'd love to say, not it. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> well, it's pretty tough, and there's been a lot of attempts. In fact, years and years and years ago, early in on my walk, um, even when I was a kid, um, somebody described it in a way that it was like an egg, and we'll get back to that in a minute. There's a, there's a story that we're all familiar with, and that is um, uh, Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. I think he was pushed. And I'm not alone, apparently, because there's somebody that wrote a book. And it's Humpty's brother. And he is uh, a detective. And he goes to find out who pushed his brother off, right? Because it was catastrophic. It was a real mess. You're wondering if it was the big bad wolf or could it have been old Mother Hubbard. You know, she can get pretty cranky. Goldilocks, Little Miss Muffet. There is a book. It's been out there, and um, it's called What Really Happened to Humpty Dumpty. There's another mystery that we find ourselves in today, and that is the mystery of the Trinity. We, at best... Uh, use visuals or illustrations in such a way, but it really, it really does fall short. I'll share one with you. As simple as that sounds, the Trinity is hard to understand. It is a mystery to us, somebody wrote here, smarter than me, something that we can think about and wonder about. People have used many, many different things to try and help explain what the Trinity is. Since we started out today talking about Humpty Dumpty, I think, I'll use an egg. And so he says, hold up a hard-boiled egg. So imagine I have a, a hard-boiled ostrich egg right now. And so what do you see? Well, that's an egg, Pastor. And I, I say, that's right. And I have one egg. And as you probably know, the egg is made up of three parts, right? So the parts are the outer shell, the inner white, and then the yolk. And uh, if we crack the egg and we peel it away, the next thing we see is the egg white, and then the next thing, if we go out and I cut the egg in half and I were to show it to you, you would show uh, or see, rather, the yellow uh, part of the yolk. And um, you see the yellow. The egg has three parts, the shell, the white, the yolk, but only one egg. In the same way, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons, but only one God mystery solved. I actually said that in front of my dean of seminary, and he looked at me, and he says, did you just describe the Holy Trinity like a hard-boiled egg? Huh. Oh, <laughs> did I say that out loud? Not me. Yeah, I did. So that made me laugh. I'll have to give um, my friend a call. Say, so guess what I did today? 
Well, the truth is that the Holy Trinity is three persons. And the Holy Trinity is not like three brothers. If we're looking at a scriptural explanation of the mystery, it comes out like this. Christ is the Lord. He is the Son of God from eternity. He is the express image of the Father. He is equally great, mighty, wise, and just. All deity, all wisdom, all power, all might inherent in the Father is also in Christ. And likewise, in the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So now, perhaps, if you are asked to explain the, the Trinity, you could reply that it is an incomprehensible mystery beyond the understanding of angels and creatures, the knowledge of which is confined to the revelations of Scripture. Luther leaned heavily on the Catholic doctrine of the Trinity to, exp to explain it. And we do too. Today we're going to say the Apostles' Creed. And maybe you've thought about it, maybe one time or another, maybe not every time, maybe every time, I don't know. But in the Apostles' Creed, it begins with, I believe. And the question is, well, in whom? And we say, in God the Father. And that is the first person in the Godhead. Amen? Okay. And so for the sake of clear distinction, this uh, peculiar attribute and office in which each person manifests himself is briefly expressed. With the first is the work of creation. True creation is not the work of one individual person, but of the one divine eternal essence as such. We must say, God the Father. Are you listening? You must say, we must say, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created heaven and earth. And yet they work is especially predicated on the Father, the first person, for the reason that creation is the only work of the Father in which he stepped forth. Out of concealment into observation, it is the first work wrought by the divine majesty upon the creature. By the word Father, he is particularly and rightly distinguished him as the, okay, are you bored yet hearing this? Come on, pastor, what does that mean? Well, it's like an egg. No, it's not. I'm just teasing you. Here's what it's like. It's okay to have a little bit of, mm, yeah, I don't know. Because if God isn't mysterious, he's not much of a God. But we know that there are three piece persons. We know that they are co-equal. We know that they are both he and that they exude the essence of the Father. We know from last week on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit, the keeper, or rather the counselor, the helper, wisdom, came upon the disciples in that upper room. Remember that? 
And through the Holy Spirit, the disciples all of a sudden were able to speak the gospel in other languages. God with them. We know that Jesus had to leave. He said, I leave, and otherwise the helper cannot come. But the helper is with us. Three persons, not like brothers, but all fully God, all fully God. So in our, in our gospel this morning, this is really hard for those to hear. The Jews don't believe in a triune God. They don't, they don't get it. That's just God the Father for them. And so here is God with skin on speaking in their temple to them. And they are saying, you're demon-possessed. And now that's hard for us to read and hear, but maybe, not, maybe we're not far from that. Have you ever had somebody tell you an inconvenient truth? And I'm not talking about the one that we go, you know, you may be thinking about it, but a truth that you don't want to hear. How did you react? Can you you put yourself in the place of these people hearing something that absolutely destroys everything that they ever believed in? Everything that they thought was true? They hung their hope, they hung their faith on Abraham. They hung their hope and their faith on a coming Messiah that was going to be like a warrior that is going to vanquish them. They hung their hope on somebody that would destroy their enemy. They thought their enemy was anyone who was occupying them at the time or anyone that had taken them into captivity. That's who they thought their enemy was. So when God was right in front of them saying, here I am, and oh, by the way, you heard it this morning in in our scripture leading up to it, um, that every jot and tittle points to, to Jesus Christ in the Proverbs, here we hear it, you know, does what wisdom call out? It's talking and pointing to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This whole morning in our scripture was a one after another, ta-da, here I am. And Jesus is telling them, ta-da, I am. Which means I'm God. Well, what do I say your name is? Remember that part, that burning bush? Moses was trying every trick in the book to not have to go and proclaim God. And he finally says, I don't even know what your name is. He says, you, I am that I am. And so Jesus just said, I'm God. And they go, oh, no, you're not. You're demon-possessed. They were blind. So we fixate on the Father. He keeps coming back. Papa. Abba. And today's Father's Day, so listen to this. Papa. Abba. The part of the the Trinity that draws us in, the most important part of all that is for worship, and that's how we express it. Worship, relationship, Father. God seeks a relationship with you and with me, and he enables us to have that relationship with the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. 
He points us to that relationship and, and, and clears the way for us by what his son did on the cross so that we could come to the perfect father because of what he did. He wants to have a relationship with you. The Jews, they didn't see their father, God, or Abraham. Abraham's dead, or God is somebody that they want to have a relationship. He was one that was always correcting them and always allowing them to go into desolation or captivity. They didn't have that. It was foreign to them. And over and over and over again, we have read of Jesus telling his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Or here's another one. There was a young son who asked his father for all of his inheritance, and he went away to a far land, and we know how that went. He spent it all. He was horrible. He came back, and what did the father do? Well, for a Jewish man to do what Jesus described was foreign. Foreign. He must be demon-possessed. Who talks of these things? No man of wealth is going to give half of his, his property and his wealth to his little children or to his son to go off and squander it, let alone go and run after him and hold him and, and, and hug him and, and give him a signet ring and the best robe and sandals and slaughter the fatted calf. Jesus is talking about radical, crazy stuff. And we've heard it so many times, we're like, well, that's what Jesus does. He's really nice. And he loves me. But to the Jews, they didn't understand that this guy's nuts. He has to be demon-possessed. This cannot happen. We don't have a father on earth that does it this way. And certainly Abraham didn't do this way, and David didn't act that way. They're, they're perplexed. They don't get it. But you and I, we have, the, we have the ability as we've gone through the church year here to see how the story is going to end. And it's all about God wanting to have a relationship with you, wanting to be your father. Not all of us have a dad. Not all of us have had, maybe have warm feelings for our father. But if you do, then that's a real gift. And if you don't, you have a father in heaven that can do that. And if you can't imagine it, you got to have seen Leave it to Beaver. Lord Cleaver is a pretty cool dad. But our Father in Heaven is even more relatable and more wonderful than that. Our Father in Heaven is like that prodigal father that waits on that son that ran off to a faraway place, squandered it all, came back saying, hey, I'll be a servant. And the Father, our Father in Heaven, is like that prodigal father. He runs after you, grabs you, kisses you, robes you in the righteousness of his son, gives you an inheritance that we know is going to be in heaven, and he calls you child. In short, the Trinity, yes, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How does that work? Yeah, I don't know. But I know they're true. Why does he do it? Because he wants to be with you. He wants to say to you, my son, my daughter, I am with you till the end of time. You are my child. 
have peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.